I'll be reading from Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It's a privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. We're looking at Luke chapter 2 this morning that Natalie just read. Even though we celebrate Christmas every year, with familiar traditions and favorite foods. It seems like Christmas, with the opening of gifts, is a time for surprise and all the joy that goes along with that. I remember when I was about 10 years old, my family at the time, we were living in Wisconsin, and I remember that my three sisters and I were opening presents as normal, and it was great. But when we were done, my parents went into some remote remote storage area in the house and came out with armfuls of more presents. We couldn't believe it. And apparently a toy store had been going out of business and my parents had made out like bandits. And so we were thrilled. I still remember I got a a matchbox car racetrack set. I mean, we were so excited. It It was the best Christmas ever. It was amazing. A surprise on top of a surprise. And of course, as we get older and as an adult, we often know in advance exactly what we're going to get. And we might act surprised at times, and certainly, of course, we're always grateful. But over time, we've become accustomed to our grown-up Christmas routines and gifts, and even the story of Christmas can become, over time, familiar. This past week, I was 
taking my kids to school, and the twins were in the back seat, and they were working on memorizing some passages. In fact, it was from this chapter, Luke chapter 2, the first four verses. And so when they finished saying them, I thought, I'm going to see if I can pick up where they left off and see what I can remember. And you know, the words just kind of came, because we've all heard this passage, familiar words, familiar phrases, this household words, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. We all know these words. They're so familiar. But today, my hope is that as we go into the storehouse of God's Word, we will come out ourselves with armfuls of new treasure. It's a Christmas surprise waiting for us this morning. And the first thing that we find in this passage that I want to talk about this morning that you might find surprising is what these verses say about power and influence in this world. Because, number one, we expect that peace comes from power. We expect peace to come from power. Did you notice how the passage starts off? It starts off by talking about Augustus Caesar, the Roman emperor, and by the regional governor, Quirinius. Here's the rich and powerful, the elite and the ruling class, the influencers and the wielders of power. And then Luke mentions various terms that his readers would have connected to Caesar Augustus. Listen to this announcement, for example, I'm going to read in just a minute, of the birth, it's talking about, it's remembering the birth of Caesar Augustus. And it was released to the Roman Empire just a few years before Jesus was born. Here's what that announcement says. The most divine Caesar Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news concerning him. But this is what Luke records about a different birthday. Look what Luke records in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So here... In these verses, Luke uses the word Savior not to refer to Caesar because he put an end to the Roman wars. He uses the word Lord, a title often affixed to Caesars. He uses that word to refer to more than the supreme authority of the Roman emperor. He uses the expression good news for the whole world not to refer to the birth of Augustus whose reign brought the great peace, the Pax Romana. No, here Luke is borrowing from the the press releases of the Roman Empire, and he surprises us by attaching them to a newborn baby lying in a manger. The most exalted Augustus who sat on the Roman throne never heard the name of Jesus, and yet within a few decades, This name had spread across his entire empire. 
And Luke says that the peace, literally meaning, literally meaning more than just the absence of conflict, but peace meaning well-being, meaning human flourishing. This peace that Caesar and his armies and his government seemed to bring, that they promised, wouldn't come through their power, wouldn't come through the wielding of any power, but would come through the laying down of power. Not by taking a throne or a political office, but in this case, by being born in a humble surrounding, being laid in a manger. And the census, the census that Caesar took, the one that got everybody in the empire hopping, that every person should go and register in their hometown, that census brought Joseph to the royal city where David had been born, the exact spot that God had foretold centuries before by the prophet Micah that this is where the true king would one day be born. Who's pulling the levers of power now? But this whole dynamic of the big power that doesn't really have the power, this is what makes good stories and good movies and good books, doesn't it? I mean, don't we like the stories of the big empire that a few ragtag heroes are able to defeat? Don't we like the stories of the man against the machine, of the big institutions that are corrupt, and that the little hero is able to outwit? I mean, these make for good stories. Because human power and might promise well-being but they can never truly deliver. And yet, nonetheless, it's still in our human nature, isn't it? To think, okay, if I get the power, then I can help others. We think power and success and money first. Yes, then we'll be truly able to help others and give back. But look at the pattern of Jesus' life. The little baby grows up, and his adult life is filled with hardship. He always obeys his father, even when it's hard and painful. He extends himself to others at great cost to himself again and again and again and again. He's hated for all this, and yet he keeps giving. And he even says things that are not easy to say, and he's slandered. He gives and he loves until he's finally betrayed and executed as an enemy of the state. Then he's raised. Then he's exalted. Then he gives gifts to the church. Then he brings blessing to the whole world. First the cross, then the crown. First the pain, then the peace. That's the order. This applies to our nation. As followers of the baby in the manger and the man upon the cross, we also reject the lie that peace comes through power. So we don't pin our hopes on political influence as the key to change the world. It also applies to our church family. We should give ourselves 
for other people, not only when we have an abundance of time and resources, but because we follow our master. And like him, death to self leads to life for others. And we apply this in our workplaces and in our homes. We don't lay down the law and wield power over others, but we lay down our rights and we yield our privileges for the sake of others. If we're followers of Jesus, the baby in the manger, we don't grasp, we give. Easier said than done. You see, all this requires faith, right? I mean, think about it with me. We talk about Christianity as we're people who live by faith, but often sometimes it means living by faith is doing something almost illogical. I'm going to take a leap of faith. I just, I'm going to do it. And there may be places for that. But if we follow the life of our Lord, living by faith is not taking a leap of faith, but it's taking the next step of sacrifice. Because it never looks like the sacrifice is going to turn out okay, does it? It never looks like it's going to be life-giving. We're afraid it's going to be life-taking. And if I get involved or if I volunteer, or if I help, or if I initiate the conversation, where might it actually lead? What might it actually cost? And if we're only looking at it with our eyes, that's what we see, the potential cost, the potential threat. But if we look at it with the eyes of faith, we give up our rights and our power and our resources and our time and our attention and our comfort, because we believe. We believe that after death comes resurrection. Because we believe that the true show of power is not in the wielding of might, but in the laying down of power. Because we believe in the baby in the manger. This is the path of peace. This is the way of well-being. And so this is the first Christmas surprise in our passage. We're surprised because somehow we still expect peace to come through power. But there's something else surprising in this passage. Typically, we expect goodness to come to the good. We expect if you're good, then you get good. Let me read again some of these verses from Chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We still expect goodness to come to the good. And you, know, you might say, I don't know. I mean, do I really expect that? Do you expect that? That's a good question. Is it legitimate to think that we actually think this way? Well, let's think about this. When kids are young, 
and there's some injustice perpetrated upon them, what do they say? They say, that's not fair. And you say, well, yes, well, that's what children say, but I'm older. Right. So we might say something like, well, they don't deserve that, but I do. Apparently, I've done or been enough of something and something more than the other person, so that's not fair. So we might not actually ever say the phrase, that's not fair, but we do find other ways to process this same emotion. So think about it with me. When we envy the social media posts and the likes of others, we're saying, that's not fair. We deserve that. Or when we get angry because we've sacrificed and done our part, but the other person's response informs us that was not enough, then we're saying that's not fair. We deserve better. When we withhold loving treatment, being kind, being gracious with others, or just being cold because some other person has failed us or disappointed us, we're saying it's not fair to give you kindness. When we try to do all the right things and then bad stuff happens and we're really frustrated, we're in some sense saying that's not fair. I deserve better. So it is human nature, isn't it? It is human nature for us to think that if I do good enough, I'll get goodness in return. But it is precisely here that our passage turns this idea, this expectation on its head. What's so surprising about what Luke records in this birth announcement of Jesus is that it was made to simple shepherds. They're terrified, and the angel says, don't fear, I'm announcing good news to you. To you, that's what it says. To them, shepherds, work hands, sometimes despised, rough, perhaps dirty, shepherds, not considered anyone worthy of note in this culture. I mean, the angels don't show up at a palace. They don't show up at the synagogue or the temple. They don't make their announcement to the rich. They don't appear to leaders in Bethlehem. They don't appear in Bethlehem at all. The announcement, the good news, comes to the most common and from all appearances, the not worthy and not admirable. And the Lord is surprising us. He's reminding us. That this good news, the announcement of Christ's birth, is not based on anything about you. In fact, it's not just about what you are at the present. It's not about what you've done in the past. The goodness and this good news is not based on what you will do in the future, your potential. Because did you notice the angels say an announcement They declare the goodness in the form of a declaration. The Messiah has already been born. The angels didn't come with a command to the shepherds, do the right thing and he'll be born. They didn't come with some conditions. 
If you're good enough, the good news of his birth is for you. Instead, the angels come with an announcement. He's already been born. So if you ever want to get discouraged, go to a seminar. There's commands and conditions and expectations galore. I remember one time I went to a two-day seminar on how to negotiate. And you very quickly learn what you don't know. Actually, maybe it's what you forget because my kids, they're born negotiators. So you forget and you have skills that you don't have. And you realize a seminar is not the place to go to be inspired. It's a place to realize how much you still need to learn. But if you want to be motivated and you want to be inspired, you don't go to a seminar. You go to a memorial. Whether you take in the beaches of Normandy and the cemeteries with rows of crosses, or whether you drive across the battlefield at Gettysburg, or walk through the Martin Luther King Memorial in D.C., you see what's been done already, and you're lifted up to keep on. You're motivated because it's already been done. The shepherds are motivated to find the baby, the baby that's already been born. They move with great haste. They're running. And after they meet the baby, they don't leave oppressed and confused or disillusioned and disappointed. They leave doing what the angels did. They're glorifying God and praising Him. Why? Because they didn't have to measure up. It's good news for them. It's not bad news, and it's not a command or a condition. It's already been done. The good news met them right where they were. It's good news for them, for them, for you. If you lay aside your expectation this morning that God ought to give you what you think you deserve, if you lay aside whatever good you think you are or whatever good you think you've done, what you think you deserve, then and only then will you find good news for you. And this news is the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior, your rescuer, the Savior of the world, the Lord of the world, the one who fulfilled all the commands, the one who met all the conditions for you. It's good news. And you may be thinking that, well, no, I don't deserve good. If you knew me, you would know, I don't deserve goodness. Well, you lay that expectation aside as well. Because this is good news for you, too. Because the good news has been done, the baby has been born, the Savior has come to rescue you. And it's not about your goodness, and it's not about your badness. What an incredible surprise at Christmas. God deals with us not the way we would deal with others, not the way we process the world. He deals in a different currency altogether, not the currency of what we deserve, but the currency of love and mercy. Goodness doesn't come to us because 
we're good. Goodness comes because God is good. That's the message of Christmas. It's a surprising message in a familiar story. And we come out of this passage today with our arms full of blessing and full of surprise because our God is a giving God. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you gave. You gave your Son, your only Son, for us. Not because we deserve it, because we don't, but because you're gracious. So help us not to deal in the currency of what we deserve, what others deserve, but just to receive from you your goodness, laying aside all our perceptions of worth, our perceptions of unworthiness. You are worthy. So Lord, we thank you for the way this familiar and ancient and true story resonates with us even today. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.